All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Sunshine and Brain, the podcast where we have conversations about mental health in as normal and down-to-earth way possible. Part of the Barry Veritas Studios, hope everybody's doing well. Uh, this is episode 13, uh, which is going to be part two of another <laughs> another round of Andre and Josh Save the World. Uh, as you know, we're doing a deep dive into religion this is sort of, uh, you know, one of those uh, one of those conversations that Andre and I like to have. In fact, conversations that he and I have been having for pretty much the entire extent of our friendship. Earlier, you know, number of, a couple of months ago, we did a deep dive into into racism and uh, sort of did our best to kind of figure out what the source of it is and how to solve it. And now we're doing a deep dive into religion. Last episode was kind of an overview opportunity for us to kind of brainstorm through different things. And in this episode, we get a bit more specific. We spend some time talking about the role of Bibles in religion and, uh, you know, sort of continuing our thought experiment. If we were to start uh, a new religion, would we have a Bible? Would we need a Bible? What would consist of it? How would it go? Which then, of course, extended into a further conversation about what kind of society and community we're looking to create here? You know, how do we potentially create a, a worldwide society of humans where folks are not only, you know, getting along and engaging in peace, but also have every opportunity to, you know, be as happy as they can be, pursue their dreams, you know, find out what inspires them and, and do that, which is obviously not something that everybody gets to do. So I'm excited for this episode. I'm excited for you to hear it. Uh, in fact, I've got uh, part three already in the bank. I just need to edit it. Just so you know, obviously, we've kind of said this before, Andre has his own podcast called Ideas by Andre. It's a great podcast. And for those who've been listening to these episodes with him and I, you know that he's got the best voice in the business, you know, a hundred times better than hundred times better than mine. That dude's got a great voice, man. So, if you want to uh, listen to his pod, it's it's definitely great. And what he does is he takes these conversations and sort of breaks them down into smaller parts, these little snippets, and uh, kind of gives you a chance to sort of get to the meat of the topic that we dive into. What I've been doing here on Sunshine is taking these conversations and and publishing them in full, so you get to hear you know, all of our friendship banter, all the different things and the full conversation through the flow of it. Hopefully it'll drive folks to both of our pods and help us to continue to grow, you know, continue to grow what we're trying to do here. Uh, as you know, I like to try to, you know, add a little bit of a intro check-in here, an opportunity to, you know, just talk a little bit in terms of what's been going on the past couple of days in my life, the past week in my life or so. And, you know, the idea being that maybe through these conversations, it uh, does a little bit towards destigmatizing conversations about mental health in general. Uh, so, so yeah, that's what we're trying to do here. So, before we get to the episode, quick little check-in. First things first. Oh man, the uh, saga with the dentist continues. I just, you know, I just had had allowed a number of years to go by before I, you know, visited the dentist and and uh, took care of my teeth. I mean, obviously I brush my teeth twice a day and floss and all that stuff, but the dentist is just so terrifying for me that I just kind of avoided it. And then as I've shared earlier, you know, that tooth kind of split because of a cavity, which then put me in a situation where I just couldn't avoid it anymore. And so here I am with, you know, sort of years of work that hadn't get done, that didn't get done, that, you know, just needs to get done. And so... (laughs) 
couple of days back, I, I went in and they had to do kind of a deep gum cleaning, which consisted of a number of incredibly uncomfortable things. I mean, we're talking first thing they were going to, they're only doing one side at a time because apparently what they're working on is so painful that there's just no way I could do it without local anesthetics. So anesthesia. So, you know, it's just that awful, awful feeling of laying there in the chair and understanding that someone's going to be sticking a syringe in your mouth with a needle and uh, you know, sticking that in your gums there and giving you a handful of shots in order to numb your mouth. Uh, so this past trip to the dentist, they worked on my right side. Yeah, it was awful. Uh, sitting there in the chair, you know, thank God, look, the, the people who work in this office are just awesome. As a matter of fact, I told them going into it, like, look, I, I've got a history with anxiety and I'm incredibly anxious about the dentist. And they've been very, very good at remembering that, at sort of giving me what I need to um, help me to kind of go through it. And the technician that did my cleaning, you know, sort of the first time and is working me kind of steady, she's, she's really phenomenal. So she does everything possible to kind of help me. They gave me this like squeezy toy, you know, <laughs> to like squeeze so that uh, that I could kind of express my anxiety there and put it in my hands instead of my mouth. And uh, then she did this really nice thing where she had, you know, two fingers in my mouth and she was kind of stimulating my cheeks in a way so that I wouldn't, you know, be noticing the syringe as much but uh, and the needle so much. But, oh, God, you know, just miserable. So a couple of shots in there to numb things up. And then once it was numb, it was mostly fine because there wasn't really any pain there, maybe a little bit, but you no, know, it was just, just miserable. You know, I mean, the scraper, the sonic water shooter thing, which makes that really high pitched noise in your brain. And then they actually did this thing at the very end where they laser your tooth. I, you know, I, I, I never had my mouth lasered before, but that was also uncomfortable. Really just, uh, really just, just, just not, not fun. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things where you just sort of have to do it and you have to go through it. You know, the health of your teeth is really important for the health of you. And so, you know, I just kind of have to sit there and go through it. But how do you, how do you manage the anxiety? You know, I think for each person, obviously you have to kind of find your own way towards how to do that. You know, for me, it's a mixture of a handful of things. First of all, the squeezy toy was really nice because, you know, I could sort of squeeze my, my hands really tight if I was feeling some anxiety to so kind of move it from my mouth into my hands. That was really good. And then really leaning into, you know, trusting the the person who's working on me because she sort of earned it in terms of being cognizant of what I'm going through and, and being thorough, but also quick, understanding that there's only a certain amount of time that I can give. And then also for me, at least allowing myself the space to kind of let out a little bit of motion, you know, not trying to hold it in too much. So, you know, when she was done, I kind of sat in the chair, sat in the chair and cried for a little bit, which is a little bit vulnerable to share. You know, it's not, it's not like something I'm totally proud of, like being 45 and sitting in a dentist chair when I'm all done and just kind of letting the tears flow for a minute. But they kind of gave me a, a moment to myself afterwards. just like, Oh God, Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with this. And then, you know, also understanding that I'm only halfway done. I, I still have um, one whole other side of the mouth and that's going to be next week when I have to go through that business. So at least I already know what I went through, which in some ways kind of makes it worse in some ways makes it better. But 
you know, the good news is, is that when they finish that, I think aside from putting in the new tooth, you know, I'll be pretty much done for now. And then, you know, making a commitment to myself that I just need to be sure to go back when they tell me to go back and get my regular cleanings and all that stuff. So I don't end up in this, uh, end up in this mess again. So, so yeah, dentist on ongoing, uh, encounter with anxiety is what that is ongoing encounter with anxiety in between, you know, for me, I mean, my, my diagnosis is severe clinical depression and mild anxiety. It's not, it's not, it's not uncommon at all for depression and anxiety to, you know, go together. Those two are kind of boyfriend and girlfriend (laughs) or boyfriend and boyfriend, girlfriend and girlfriend. I don't know all the different things, but depression and anxiety have a tendency to, to go together hand in hand. I mean, that, that's just kind of one of those things, but my anxiety isn't nearly as intense as my depression and my anxiety could be, could be a lot worse. I mean, really could be a lot worse. So the way it manifests with me is that I can move towards the thing and do it. I can sort of get through it, but it's going to sort of do me in for the day. I mean, by the time I'm done with, uh, you know, by the time I finished with these sessions with the dentist, it's sort of like, okay, yeah, I'm not sure there's anything else I'm going to be able to get accomplished today. That, that, that's thoroughly exhausting, completely and thoroughly exhausting. Uh, right now what I've done understanding that I have, uh, you know, a few more days and then I kind of get at it again. Uh, I have, uh, a couple of things kind of between now and then that I'm looking forward to that sort of distracting me from the fact that I'm going to need to go back to the dentist. So, you know, I'm, uh, getting new tattoos tomorrow, which is always exciting. There's some pain certainly associated with that, but I don't think I'm going to be tattooing much in the sort of painful places in my body, but two tattoos that I'll be getting tomorrow, maybe three, but I think two, one off, uh, some of the earlier, earlier conversations that are on this, uh, podcast between me and Andre, I'm going to be getting a black lives matter tattoo on my wrist or rather sort of just below my wrist on my left arm. I've got, um, I've got a, a treble clef tattoo on my left wrist pulse point. And then a few inches below that starts a tattoo that I have for my dad, which is like this spiritual cardinal kind of cool tattoo there. So essentially right between those two, right between those two tattoos, I'm going to get the words black lives matter there. Uh, I'm doing it for a number of different reasons. First of all, fucking sucks to be white in San Diego. (laughs) San Diego is the worst to be white in. You know, if you're living in like, if I was up in the Bay area, you know, everyone would just assume that I'm liberal because it's the Bay Area. And I'm liberal. And I kind of want everyone to assume that I'm liberal. (laughs) But in San Diego, man, there are so many conservative people in San Diego. And as a matter of fact, a lot of those conservative people have tattoos even. So, you know, how you dress and and, uh, how you kind of move through the world does not necessarily act as a sign in terms of where your politics are in San Diego. I mean, you, you might think, for example, that the surf culture is, you know, related to the hippie culture, right? That like surfers kind of look like hippies to the untrained eye. And you would maybe would think that, yeah, surfers, man, they, they sound liberal. They probably are liberal. No, no, it is. That is not, that is not the case. You can meet someone who's like, what's up, brah, you know, <laughs> and, then, and just assume that they've got sort of, I mean, most of the time they don't really give a shit about politics, but if you do talk politics, it's not that uncommon to find a surfer who's like, yeah, Trump 20, Trump 2020, brah. 
it's like, whoa, what the fuck? I didn't realize that those those two things can work together like that. You know, I'm just really sick of uh, people kind of not knowing where I stand in San Diego. Uh, so that's one reason why I wanted to get it. The other reason is, I mean, look, I, this podcast is with Andre. Andre's my best friend. Andre's an African-American. And I definitely spent years walking around in a quote-unquote post-racial bubble that was a figment of my imagination because there's no such thing as a post-racial bubble, which means that I wasn't doing my job as a white person in America. I wasn't uh, fighting the fight that I you know, claimed to believe in. And I uh, felt quite a bit of shame about that. And we've talked about that in earlier episodes, especially the ones about race, that shame that I felt about that and not wanting to forget my privilege anymore. You know, as a Jewish person, the faith is pretty clear. You're not supposed to get tattoos as a Jew. And there's both a biblical reason and a more modern reason for that. I mean, the biblical reason is that the Bible is pretty clear. You don't, so you're not supposed to mark up your body. You're supposed to return your body to the earth in the same way that you got it, you know. And there's a lot of reasons why Jewish people did that. But I suspect probably the most important reason why the ancient Israelites didn't tattoo themselves is because that's something that their enemies did. And the sort of enemy tribes and nations that were around them that they fought a lot of wars with did have a lot of kind of skin designs and tattoos. And often that's kind of how these laws and rules come about in religion, right? That it functions as a kind of cultural political polemic, meaning, you know, this is, this is what we believe because this is different from what they believe, right? So that's one of the big reasons why Jewish people sort of weren't supposed to get tattoos. And the other thing comes back to the Holocaust where, you know, the Nazis would tattoo numbers onto Jewish forearms as a way of keeping track of who they are in the concentration camps. It's hard to find survivors of the Holocaust anymore. I mean, that, that war was back from the 1940s with every year, we sort of get further and further away from that. And at some point, not that long from now, we're going to be about a hundred years since the end of the Holocaust. And once you hit a hundred years, I mean, that's, that's when you know that a piece of history is truly ancient history, but because it's still recent enough that there are people who are alive, like myself, even young people who are alive, who've known personally Holocaust survivors and seen the tattoos on their arm there is this stigma that Jews feel towards getting tattoos. And here I am, I've got a lot of them. For me, it was really a, a handful of things that sort of led me to do it. One, there definitely is a component of rebelling against the patriarchy. <laughs> the patriarchy here being Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? <laughs> like sort of saying, ah, fuck that, I'm going to carve my own space. Thank you very much. Um, and the other piece is, you know, the Bible is clear again, like, you know, return your body to the earth the same way you got it. And I'm like, why would I want to do that? You know, I want my body to tell a story. I don't like the idea of walking around and, and being fully anonymous. You know, I want there to be things on my skin that express who I am. And that's just something that I like to do, you know. And as a matter of fact, I don't really think that that's even that far from the Jewish tradition. Because you know what? When I was eight days old, and not to bring this conversation to my penis, but we're going to do that for a second. When I was eight days old, I was circumcised like, you know, most Jewish, uh, Jewish men are, in fact, as you're supposed to be. And there have been a lot of different discussions in terms of, A, whether or not it's moral or ethical to circumcise your male babies. 
certainly when I hear of cultures that practice female circumcision, I find myself completely and utterly disgusted, like harming women in that way, harming, you know, babies in that way. And yet I was circumcised. And it's hard to justify on one hand, right? It's hard to justify kind of what that is. But, you know, for me, I think of it almost anthropologically where men have a tendency towards toxic masculinity. And this toxic masculinity has been a very significant problem for the world throughout human history. And a circumcised penis is a little bit like tying, you know, a string around your finger to remind yourself that Spider-Man line, right? That with great power comes great responsibility. That, you know, we are supposed to remember that our strength is not an excuse to harm people. And I really like that. You know, I really like the idea of circumcision as a reminder that with great strength and great power comes great responsibility. So for me, getting a Black Lives Matter tattoo on my wrist and that visible spot isn't just a chance for me to have something visible that shows where I fall on these issues, but it's also a reminder for me, right? Like, don't fucking forget my privilege ever again. You know what I mean? Like, the next time I think that I don't have to teach my daughters about racism, well, there's a thing on my wrist that's a reminder that, yeah, I have to continue to teach them about racism. The next time I think that I can just, you know, walk past someone and and not have to engage on certain issues because I'm white, you know, that, too, that tattoo is going to potentially for, force me to engage them on those issues because someone sees it and they know where I stand. And then I become someone, someone, you know, to engage with on that stuff. I mean, as of now, I don't leave the home unless I'm wearing a black lives matter item of clothing. So either a hat, a hat or a sweatshirt or, or something along those lines. But this tattoo will, you know, sort of finalize that for me where no matter what, you know, wherever I go, there's going to be a message on my arm that says, Hey, this is where I fall on the issue. And uh, if you've got issue with that, then, then, uh, then we can talk about that. So that's one of the tattoos I'm getting. I'm really excited about that. And then I'm also going to get a, a QR tattoo, uh, QR tattoo, QR code tattoo on my upper back that, uh, that I'm also excited about, but for different reasons, that one's just for, just for shits and giggles, really, really. <laughs> that's an opportunity for me to, cause the thing, you know, the thing about tattoos is, is that they're permanent, right? And so you put them on your, you put them on your skin and then, you know, whatever they stood for is what they always stand for. And they're there forever. I mean, they fade, you can go over them, but they're, they're there forever. And the meaning, the content of the tattoo is there forever. Well, I love the idea of having a QR code, which works and leads to a website, a website that, you know, is mine that I can develop. And then whatever kind of a mood I'm in, I can change up the message, change up the meaning there. And then all of a sudden the, the message and the meaning of the tattoo can, can be more dynamic. You know, it can change with me. So, so I made, I made the site and as of right now, the message that's on there is, uh, you know, yes, it really works. Now kindly fuck off. <laughs> and I, just, I fucking love it. And I just cracking myself up with that. So I really hope it works. If not, then it'll just be a cool design on my back. Uh, I'll be there for a while until I think of something to cover it up with. But, uh, if it does work, then it is a lifetime of joy. 
And I'm definitely looking forward to that uh, lifetime of joy tat being on my back. So those are the two I'm working on right now. I also have an idea to get a tattoo. Uh, well, a buddy of mine and I are going to get uh, matching stay weird tattoos. That's part of sort of long-term goal. So that might happen tomorrow as well. And then the other idea I have is to do uh, one leg sort of a tattoo representative of New York, you know, where I'm from. The idea being that no matter where I am, I've got one foot in New York because it had such a big impact on me and my personality and stuff. So uh, that's the other idea, but I'm not going to do that one just yet. That's a much bigger, much um, longer process, more expensive process. So I'll just kind of continue to make plans for that tattoo and, and uh, do that one, you know, closer to when I'm ready. But in any case, that's what I have going on. But the, the biggest thing I'm thinking about right now, as I mentioned last episode is, you know, uh, I recorded the intro for last episode on the 12th. Today's the 16th. And so edging closer and closer to the October 1st date where I told myself that I would dive headfirst back into my search for love. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know for certain if I'm going to dive headfirst back in, but I'm definitely going to dive back in. And, you know, I'm starting to continue to sort of think about, you know, how I want to spend that time, what I'm looking for, reminding myself to really believe in the potential for something great. Uh, that's, that's really where my head is at. You know, if you would have asked me when I was a kid what I wanted to be when I grew up, you know, I would tell you that I wanted to be a, a dad and a, and a husband, you know, like a really good dad and a really good husband. And that's fucking cheesy. Like my daughters would call me a simp because of that. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not hundred percent sure what a simp is. I think I know, but uh, that's what they would call me. They call me a simp. And I was like, "Is simp short for simple?" And they're like, "No, it's not short for simple. It's just simp." I'm pretty sure it's short. It's short for simple. I have to like urban dictionary it just to kind of see what's going on. But apparently, a simp is someone who you know is just really into love. You know, <laughs> wants to be super giving to a partner and romantic and things like that. And I don't see anything wrong with being a simp. So yeah, I'll, I'll accept that. I'll accept that. Uh, I'll accept that word. You want to call me a simp? That's good. I'm a simp, but yeah, love is, love is something that, you know, I always kind of wanted to have in my life and I never have been able to have the kind of love that I want, which is to say not the, you know, unrealistic Disney kind of love, but still something very humanly magical, I guess, you know, where you find someone, meet someone and you're their best friend and they're yours and you're incredibly proud of them and they're proud of you and they make you feel found and you make them feel found. And there is, you know, wonderful passion and wonderful good times and incredible opportunities to laugh and be together and all that, uh, all that stuff. You know, that's the, that's the thing that I've kind of always wanted in my life more than anything else. And that's the thing that I never really had. You know, I, I, I don't remember a time when I had a, a relationship like that, where, you know, it could, I could look ahead and kind of see it stretching forever in that way. I mean, I've certainly had some wonderful partners through the years and, you know, had my share of girlfriends back in my twenties and in a long marriage that was what it was. And, you know, more significant relationship after that, that was what it was, but nothing that 
you know, I, I really, really wanted for myself. And, you know, I really, I really want that for myself. You know, I know that I know how to be a good partner and I'm, you know, really good at communicating and listening and drawing boundaries and respecting boundaries and, you know, being patient and, and all that good stuff. But, you know, it's hard to, hard to find a match. So, you know, that's the, that's the thing. So to have had these two months to sort of take a break from all that and, you know, really work on myself and think about, you know, getting certain things accomplished that maybe I wasn't getting accomplished has been a, a really nice gift. But now, you know, the opportunity to kind of jump back in and to see if I can really find that partner is something I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to. So still have another couple of weeks left. Um, I'll probably talk about it more, you know, on the pod here, kind of, kind of flesh out more specifics in terms of what I'm looking for and the kind of relationship I want and how to express that and all that stuff. But, uh, but that's probably enough. It's probably enough for now. <laughs> it's probably enough for now. 25 minutes into an intro. It's funny. I just start fucking talking and then I look up and it's like 25 minutes later. So yeah, apparently, apparently I like doing this. <laughs> apparently apparently this is fun for me and uh, I can sort of fill space talking to myself and you know apparently I don't really need someone else to talk to in order to just fucking keep talking for 25 minutes I don't really know if that's a skill that I should be happy about or not happy about (laughs) but it's a skill it's definitely a skill in any case uh yeah so here we are part two of uh Andre and Josh save the world with religion I really hope that uh, you enjoy this conversation. As always, please like and review. Please follow this pod. You know, subscribe. Please share it with as many of your friends, fellows as uh, as possible. You know, we hope to grow this to be as big as it can. I'm not really doing it for listeners, but it'd be nice if we had listeners because then we have an opportunity to make a real difference there. My email address is josh at periveritas.com. I've got a couple of nice interviews I'm kind of working on here. So we've got a part three of the religion conversation that is really, really interesting. I'm excited to publish that. And then a couple of interviews I'm sort of working on here, setting up that I'm excited to share with you. So some nice things happening this month with this pod. I'm excited to see what you all think. In the meantime, here's uh, me and Andre continuing our conversation about religion. Really hope you enjoy this episode. Yo, Dre. Yo, Josh. What's good? We're fucking back, man. We're fucking back. <laughs> no, no FBI to hold us back this time. We don't think. <laughs> it might be a ruse. Like maybe they're maybe they're listening in and um, they're just like, well, maybe we should just like hear. Let's what just they have gather to say. the intel. Yeah. <laughs> Rather yeah. than shut down Basically. the operation, we'll follow Basically. back to its leader, which is just going to be a, literally two dogs. <laughs> Yeah. They think two dogs is like a code name, but it's literally just two dogs. I mean, it's not the same style. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yo, I don't know about you, but to me, it feels like the last time we recorded this uh, kind of religion uh, rabbit hole we're going down here, it yeah. feels like it was three years ago. <laughs> yeah, because usually we were, we're right, like, wow, I'm one on top of the other when we're doing things. This one took a while. Just- but how long has it actually been? Like a week and a half, two weeks? It's probably two weeks. It's probably two weeks. Right? Just two weeks, but it feels like like three and a half years ago. 
Totally. It totally does. Fucking weird, man. Weird. Yeah, the um, uh, the um, California is burning right now. How are you yeah, doing? I've seen some uh, crazy <laughs> red sky, orange sky uh, photos aside from just the the uh, yeah. That's that's up in the Bay Area. I've got one of my sisters up there with her family, and um, and it really, really has been like that. Like that's not like by filter or anything. Like it actually has just been like that. And, you know, they're not in any danger, although if you were to, like, go to their neighborhood, it's like, you know, it's like old growth forest, basically. But, like, second generation old growth forest, like third generation old growth forest, like, like old, <laughs> like, it used to be, like, all the redwoods and stuff there, but all those trees were chopped down, and now it's a whole bunch of other trees there. But there's just a ton of really, really flammable trees there. Yeah. And, um, but the fires that are turning the skies that color are a good distance from them, so they don't, like, have to flee anywhere. But in the meantime, they've been stuck indoors the whole way. Of course. Um, yeah. What I what I have here is there's a there's a big fire like southeast of me by like 30 minutes on the U.S. side of the Mexico border in this area called Alpine. Um, it's this big fire called the Valley Fire, and it's under more control now, so you can like almost tell that the sky is blue behind the clouds. Mm -hmm. But it's been a layer of smoke for about a week. Yeah, that's got to be great for your lungs, by the way. Well, it's fun <laughs> it's funny because the first couple of days of it or so, there was the uh, Santa Ana winds, which is just this crazy ass hot, hot wind where it turns everything really hot. And because it was so hot, the smoke wasn't going up; it was just staying on the ground. So we actually had like ash fall. I woke up in the morning; there was like ash all over my car, and oh yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, that's not that uncommon here. If it's warm enough, it happens. But because of the smoke up in the atmosphere and because of what we also get a marine layer here in San Diego, it's actually cooled off. So so all of the smoke is just up in the atmosphere. So occasionally you'll get like a little whiff of something, like some particles of smoke and things like that. But it hasn't really like the air quality in terms of breathing. It's worse than usual, obviously. But I've still been able to get out and exercise and like do my thing because you're but psychotic. Just... But that's a whole another podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that is the podcast. <laughs> my 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 psychotic behavior is the theme of the podcast, generally speaking. But uh, but um, but yeah, no, I mean it's it's just bananas. Like I haven't seen the clear shot of the sun. In, in Have you seen that uh, graphic going around uh, from the satellite footage about how big that swath of uh, smoke and ashes going across the entire globe? As it yeah, over. yeah, it's crazy. That's yeah, crazy. it's it's bananas. Well, yeah, I mean, and, interconnected everything is. Yeah, it's crazy, and this and this fire has been burning for. I mean, it's like I didn't, I haven't checked today, but yesterday at around this time it was about 35 percent controlled or whatever so like not controlled at all like i don't even know no. even bother saying <laughs> yeah no no but but the first three or four days of it it was just uh one percent controlled and that was it just like one percent control and and it was like that for a bunch of days and the first the first day it was there like you could actually see a plume going up on the horizon no, it's just like this obvious big plume going up on the horizon. And then a couple of days later, there's not even a plume anymore. It's just smoke. So it's so big. It's like, you know, 10, 15,000 acres, you know, and it's just so big that it's just the plume is just the whole horizon or whatever. Wow. So that's it's, intense. It's craziness. It's craziness. Southern California. Yeah, I went to, um, 
I went to uh, like on Monday, Labor Day. So this past Monday, I went to my because it was Labor Day, the neighborhood had closed the pool, so I couldn't get my laps in. And I was like, I gotta get some fucking exercise. I gotta go do something because I'm just jumping on my skin. Yeah, before I go nuts. So I, I was like, I know what I'll do. I'll go climb a nearby mountain. I don't know why I decided to do that. Because <laughs> what I thought was, it's a dog-friendly hike. And it's not that bad. It's like two and three quarters mile up and then two and three quarters mile down, you know. And yeah. uh, so it's a good exercise kind of going up. So me and Shadow uh, went up the mountain. And uh, when we got to the top, you couldn't, like, I was like, you know, I just couldn't see the fire. I was like, I was hoping that I'd be able to kind of see where it was or whatever. Like it's a good shot. Dude. Yeah, no, it's just smoke coming up and over, you know, just craziness. And uh, I almost fucking, <laughs> I almost died on the way up too. <laughs> did, I tell, did I tell you this? Did I tell you what happened? You told me there was a rattlesnake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy that we have rattlesnakes from the East Coast all the way out into the West Coast. Are rattlesnakes from the East Coast? I don't know what their point of origin is, but we have them here in the Catskills. It might be different rattlesnakes, man. Yeah, it's got to be. It's got to be. I mean, if, if bears are different from state to state, then the snakes got to be different. Yeah, it's got to be different. I mean, we've got a big mountain range between us that stops a lot of the wildlife from going over, you know. But, um, but yeah, no, it, <laughs> this thing scared the shit out of me. But anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. <laughs> yeah, you're getting into a big segue now. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Do you remember, by the way, where we left off? <laughs> not at all. I believe we did like a not really like an, an off point. We kind of just like jumped all over the place about different uh, problems and possible solutions. So it was like a very top down overview, but we didn't really get into the nuts and bolts about uh, a lot of it. What were we going to talk about today? Uh, I guess what the religion would actually look like. like yeah. If it has laws, if it has uh, we did talk a little bit about, about culture last time. Uh, yeah. We didn't talk about like kind of like rules and regulation, what the story would be. That sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So getting into laws, getting into kind of like functionality. Yeah. Like what and, does this thing actually look like? All right. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's do it. I, I, I you know, um, during the time in between, although not for like a week and a half or so, but there were a couple moments there where I was like, if I was gonna, you know, give writing a Bible a shot, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. what would I do? I definitely had a couple moments where I was like, be careful stepping outside after having a thought like that. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Struck, struck by lightning. <laughs> definitely. But if we were going to write like a new Bible, you know, what were we, what would it look like and how would it go? But I think maybe the first question there might be, you know, do we even need a Bible? Yeah, you, you, you need a, I mean, I definitely wouldn't call it a Bible, but you need like a story of the people, right? Some kind of guidepost. Yeah. What, what we're, where we came from, what we're about and where we're going. Uh, yeah, I doesn't need to be such a monstrous beast of a tome, <laughs> right? You might be able to get that done in like a hundred pages or something like that, right? Especially since it's not going to be a collection of random stories that we're trying to fit together like a jigsaw puzzle to fulfill some com obscure political aim. It's like we're really just trying to make something that's like a, 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 a dazzling the religious culture and backdrop of 
uh, human species that we want to get along together and survive ultimately. Right. But, right. I mean, that probably doesn't take much because you're going to need more of a guide and, and less of, you know, do this, don't do that because, you know, situations are too changeable. Right. More right. than more the ethos of it. Right. I love the idea of, you know, having some kind of, you know, narrative component, something that helps people to both look inward and look outward, you know, and see kind of the, you know, the magic and the holiness of sort of their own journey and then how it fits in with kind of the grander human experience. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think in a big way, that's a lot of what Bibles kind of try to do is to sort of do that, you know, to, to try to create sort of a perspective. I mean, in a way, one of the more painful and interesting things, part of life, and it's painful for me at least, but, but um, I don't know if it's painful for everybody, but definitely painful for me, is the whole idea that, you know, no matter what you do, every single human being that's ever been is born in the middle of the story and dies in the middle of the story. And the, the arc of a human life just doesn't go long enough to feel like you can have a big impact in history. You know, it's like, like uh, we talk a lot about racism now, obviously. Mm-hmm. And both you and I were born in the middle of that fucking story. Right, right. You know, and, and like the, given the legacy of that. And now, you know, and, and our, the span of our lives isn't long enough to see that story come to an end in any real way. Right, right. You you kind of have to use your cognitive abilities to kind of forecast yourself into the future and take right, it <laughs> right, right. I mean, that's one of the things that I that I do still love about Judaism because it, if you really dive into it, what you end up doing is conceptualizing yourself as a link in the chain. So you know, kind of picking up the baton from the generations past and then carrying it forward as far as you can, and then handing it off to the next generation to kind of continue along the way. Um, but, but there's no such thing as, um, as an individual life that sits in history with a sort of beginning, middle and end of the overall historical story, you know? Well, well, that, that's definitely something that you could write into existence to give people, uh, to feel the weight of their actions a little bit more. Right. To realize that everything you do, everything that you do and say really extends backwards and forwards in time. And right. it has uh, an eternal result that you're responsible for. Right. It affect just them. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I love the idea, by the way, of your story extending forwards in time. Um, I'd love to hear you parse out a little bit more what you mean by your story extending backwards in time, because that's a little bit harder to kind of grab onto. Yeah. So I think uh, it's this idea of like, we can, I, I, I feel every religion is going to need like not just a metaphor and not just a literal. You need them both. And I yeah. think one problem we could correct is to be very clear about which is which. Yeah. Uh, but that being said, the literal part of extending back and, and also the interconnectedness is the fact that everything in the universe is connected with all the same star stuff at some point. Right. And, if you extend it forward, we're all going to be the same star stuff at the end of that. So that's kind of like the more literal thing, but on the more story oriented, story oriented metaphorical end, it would be to actually concoct a uh, ancient story of our people. That's probably a little, <laughs> a little nicer in its origin than it actually is. <laughs> um, and I would want to get away from the 
uh, well, Judeo-Christian uh, model is sort of just like the whole dominion obedience model, right? That's like kind right. of the most important factors at the beginning of our story. And it's like, oh, disobedience is like a huge, huge disproportionate punishment, right? <laughs> right. You have eternal life, eternal health and happiness, uh, eternal naivety, naivete even. And mm-hmm. uh, you disobey one rule, you know, you eat the wrong thing at the wrong time, and then you're out forever, and your entire line is cursed forever, right? Yeah. Uh, so, like, I don't, uh, it, I don't want that to be part of it. Um, so there's there's ways that you, we can kind of talk up that the you know original human species, uh, we do have this this idea that we not this idea this tendency that humans we like to look back and think that you know they, things in the past were better. So since we can't get away from that tendency, let's create a story that actually put, puts humans in like this idealistic uh, situation. But it was one from created by themselves, by hard work, not a gift from some maker god. Uh, so maybe we were great and maybe we did dominate space or something like that. And then for some reason, things went awry and we ended up here and we need to get back out there. Right. Uh, right. So that, that's probably getting a little bit too much into the bones of it, but something something like that. Huh. Uh, Give people like if you're going to look back, you, you want something good for them to look back to. Right, right. Yeah, I kind of was. Uh, what were you going to say? Uh, no, just something useful. I was going to say. Right. No. No doubt. I mean, that. I think that's sort of the the thing that you know I would really want to push us to make sure that we do is no matter what we do, that you know, if you're going to develop a new religion, it's got to have street value. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't it. It won't go anywhere. I mean, there's no purpose of a theology if it's not applicable, really, really applicable to a person's daily life and existence. If it doesn't have street value, then it's not going to have legs. It's not going to go anywhere. I mean, that that's like what's really interesting and scary about when you think about people who, you know, sort of ascend in history as great religious leaders or well-known right. religious leaders is that we often call them radicals. They're not fucking radicals, man. You know, like a, a true radical is someone whose beliefs whose beliefs land them in an insane asylum. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it means to be a radical. Yeah. You know, if you've got millions of followers, you're not a radical. What that means yeah, is that you become mainstream at that point. Yeah, you've got a message that's resonating with people. You know, so you think about like, um, you know, so today is September 12th, right? Um, and uh, you know, both you and I are New Yorkers, and so September 11th kind of sits heavy on our shoulders. And, um, you know, you think about Osama bin Laden and what that guy did and the kind of leader that he was, you know, people talk about him like a radical. But the thing of it is, is that he had millions of followers. Not only that, but he's another one of these. Let's look to the past for a better story. Right. He's extremely orthodox. Right. See, that's a much scarier concept to me. The idea that someone who we would perceive of as radical because his worldview is so outside of what we're trying to, you know, sort of accomplish in the West, that uh, that he's got millions of followers in his world. And in his world, he's not really all that radical. That's how you know that you're dealing with a pretty significant clash of culture. You know, when when one culture looks at someone and says fucking radical and the other culture is like, nope, nope. Nope, his message yeah, is like turning back to family values. <laughs> right, like, right, exactly, so, exactly. So our story, like the beginning is almost the, the same as the end, meaning at the end of this, we're ho- hoping that this new religion creates an idealistic society. So you want to actually start with that. What does that idealistic society look like? Is like, you know, one of um, love and equality 
and uh, high science and a great sense of self and connectedness with the community and like all these great things, right? And you right. basically make a story uh, explaining all of that, how that was. And then, okay, why are we in this mess now? Okay, well, something bad happened. What was the something bad? It wasn't a curse. We did it to ourselves and we didn't learn the lesson. So this way, when people have that reflex action of saying, oh, let's look back to the past. Oh, the past was uh, we all got along together. We all worked together. <laughs> we all loved each other. We all uh, had a sense of ourselves and a sense of our community. And we believed in science and followed science. Right, right. Does it have to be, does it, does it have to be like that? I mean, does it have to be recalling to the past to a time where it was sort of perfect like that? Or can we project towards that ideal knowing that in fact, humanity has never actually been there? Yeah. Um, it's a great question. Like I was going to say, like my original idea was not to deal with the origin at all, or to maybe be a little bit more honest about it as, as honest as we can be. Cause you know, after a certain point, it's just bones, right? Yeah. But yeah, I'm trying to like uh, hedge my bets against the habits of humanity. <laughs> I think no matter what you tell them, they're still going to say, well, but I remember back in the day, it was yeah. better. Fucking make America great again. For who? For who? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, when was it great? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 It's like, so if, if you're going to do it, it's like, we might as well just use the machine. It's it's kind of like the false premise of uh, capitalism, right? All right, humans are greedy, right? This is part of the premise, and therefore, let's use the greed to our advantage, right? And uh, so it does it does work. It makes capitalism work. Let me put it that way. But it doesn't work to make a better society necessarily. No, right. Uh, but it does get a lot of things built. So that, that part of it works. So in <laughs> a way, when you harness the negative, <laughs> you can make things like explode, right? So that that was kind of my thinking. I don't know if it's the right thinking or the wrong thinking, but that was the thinking behind it. I don't know. I'm not sure. You know, I mean, when I think about like, what are the ingredients for the society that we're trying to build or rather even step outside of the ingredients for a minute? Like what are what are just the basic facts and tenets for the society we're trying to build? I mean, we're, we're trying to build a world where this is what you and I keep talking about for fucking 30 years at this point. <laughs> um, you know, where anyone and everyone can achieve their potential and not get in the way of anyone else's potential. Right. Uh, anyone and everyone can live out the fullest of their days possible, right? Like as, as many days as they possibly can in peace. Um, right. Those pieces, right. Those pieces are probably right. key and, and that we're not pushing down entire peoples in order to achieve, you know, the shit that we want. You know, so when you think about it, right, that's sort of the basic ingredient of what we're trying to create. So what does that mean? Ending racism, ending hatred uh, as much as possible, doing away with violence, with war, with the kind of separations that, you know, drive violence and war these days, right? doing all that stuff. And so if that's the kind of final goal. And what are the pieces that we need to sort of get there? One is probably critical thinking. Right? We, we want we want a society, a worldwide society that really values critical thinking, a worldwide society where humans can admit that they're wrong. Right. That's critical. Okay. Right. I mean, just kind of like as a basic and then a worldwide society where people recognize the 
either the godliness or the holiness or, you know, just each individual's right to, to be alive and to believe what they want and to sort of do what they want, if that makes sense. Totally. So, you know, how do you create a religion like that? You know, in a way, your point about it not having to be like a Bible that's not a Bible makes a lot of sense there because one of the sort of basic rules of at least the Judeo-Christian Bible, and I think the Quran as well, is that A, God is always right. Yeah. <laughs> and the Bible is infallible. Yeah, you know? well, it, it's interesting, This and this is getting too much into the weeds, but like when you really parse how it's said, like, or so there's things God says about himself in that setting. And then there's right. things that the prophets and everybody else says about him. Right. And the two don't always line up. So yeah. I noticed this like a long time ago. So like uh, God kind of like declares himself as like God almighty. Like he's like the military, all powerful God. And it's kind of like, you do what I tell you to do because I'm all powerful. It's almost like your parents, right? It's like, yeah, I'm going to mess you up if you don't do what I tell you to do. And that's demonstrated. Right. We, uh, prophets, humans, et cetera, go and say, God's all knowing and he's all wise. And this, but God never actually says that <laughs> or at least doesn't lean into it. No. Those are tributes that we give to him. Right. He's like, like we should have probably just took him at his word. It's like, no, do what I tell you, Rob. I'm going to smite you. Like, <laughs> right, right. But, uh, but I did come up with uh, one one law. Like, so when you look across like all these uh, all the religions, and uh, it, usually the first law, the do or do not thing, is the thing that they have that culture has the biggest problem with. Um, so like when Judaism and then Christianity, the big problem was that it was, uh, it was actually multicultural. So that became a problem because there was worship of many different gods. So of course the first rule is thou shall have no other God before. Me. Right. Right. Um, and then I found this one obscure one. I'm not even sure it's accurate <laughs> just to give like a, a juxtaposition, uh, ancient Egypt and, uh, the empire of ancient Egypt times, uh, the first law apparently was thou shalt not eat human flesh. <laughs> I'm not even sure that's true because I only saw that in like one article many years ago. And I was like, what? <laughs> like that's oddly specific. And, but it, like, there is like a correlation to the time period where there was kind of like a feast and, uh, and famine between like how the, the crops would grow. So they would have long periods of drought sometimes and, you know, people would die and there'd be no food and yeah, people would resort to cannibalism supposedly. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, whether it's true or not, the, the rule is true is that like the thing you have the biggest issue with is kind of like the first law they try to address. Um, that being said, I came with the law and then realized that it's really suspicious that no one's coming with this law. And it kind of shows that religions are just to keep people in power. Okay. Um, and the law was, you shall not have dominion over any other human. Yeah. That's the most important law. Yep. I have not come across it. I'm not going to say I've read every religion because that's impossible, but I've read quite a few. <laughs> I've done a deep dive in quite a few. I have not seen that. I have not seen that. Yeah, you're right. I think that would be a great starting point. The first rule always gets the most emphasis of anyone reading that any religious tome because uh, they know it's the most important and they always fall back to it. And people are willing to fight and die over it. And if you're going to fight and die over something, it should be over the you know abolition of any form of slavery, dominance, or control of your fellow human being. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, of course, you know, knowing humans, you're going to have to follow up with the definition of what a fucking human is. 
Yep. You know, because yep. the first thing they'll do is be like, all right, great. So, you know, white people. <laughs> right, 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 right. For sure. For sure. Yeah. 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 You'll have to, that, that's probably, we said, I said the book where I take a hundred pages, 50 of the pages might be that. Yeah. <laughs> like trying to get yeah. like legal, that might just be like, why is there so much legalities in this? It's like, yeah, we're just trying to define what even is. Right. Uh, the, the follow-up law might just be thou shall not have dominion over any thinking thing. And I know that's right. problematic because people will be like, well, animals think. Right. Right. And then it's like, yeah, well, we've known that like, uh, the way we treat animals is freaking horrific, right? <laughs> we all know it. No matter how great of a, a big of a meat lover you are, for example, like we know the system's broken, right? <laughs> it's not a moral system. I don't think anyone would argue that. People would just say they either care or don't care, and all they're just, just animals. But they definitely think and have feelings and emotions and all that stuff. Of course. So if if I say the first law is thou shall not have dominion over any human, and then the second law is not to have dominion over everything, any thinking thing, at least that creates the debate over what a thinking thing is. And surely humans are wrapped into that automatically. Absolutely. Animals, that might take another hundred years, <laughs> right? Right. By the time we figure that out, there's probably because artificial intelligence is on the, on the, on the uh, war path or something. Of course. And that's going to be something we have to... Uh, address too like it's coming it's coming yeah uh, already you know uh small ai so to speak where you know they can think i'll think us on very specific tasks right yeah whether it's a uh, chess or go or certain types of uh surgeries and cancer detections and so on and so forth or facial recognition it, they outperform us with specific tasks eventually they will be a human-like artificial intelligence and Yo, man. how do you want to how do you want to treat that thing yeah, I, I try to I, I try to avoid articles about shit like that because every time I dive into something like that, I, it terrifies me. It absolutely terrifies me. I read this yeah. one article like a couple of years ago where they did this thing where you know it was this I, I don't even know, but but the they turned on this artificial intelligence computer, and within moments it started creating its own language, and then and then they didn't know what the fuck it was. They couldn't keep track of what the fuck it was doing. So they shut it off. <laughs> they just they just shut it off. They were like, oh, whoa, 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 and unplugged the, unplugged the machine. Like, <laughs> like, you know, they just, they really, they they could not keep track of what it was doing. It's craziness. Absolute craziness. Um, yeah, no, this is like, this is all resonating with me. And then the other, like when I, when I was kind of like brainstorming to myself in terms of how a Bible like that would start, the first thing that I kind of thought of was, in Jewish lore, in Jewish messianic lore, um, and this is where kind of like Jewish messianism and Christian messianism kind of run together. The best way to understand Jewish messianism is to understand early, is to read and sort of interpret early Christian writings, especially the writings that were geared towards the Jews, because like we said before, there's, if, it's, if it's an idea that's trying to resonate with mainstream society, then it's not radical. So the, the early ideas, like especially the writings of Paul about what Jesus was all about and what Jesus was supposed to be doing, is probably the best gateway in understanding what the Jewish messianic concept is, which is to say that, you know, basically when the Jewish Messiah comes, all of humanity is immediately propelled into its next level existence. Um, because what happens is the entire Bible, except for two books, and I'll get to those two books in one second, the entire Bible 
becomes inscribed upon your heart is like the phrase, the phraseology of that, right? And you see that in early Paul writings all the time um, that, you know, um, through Jesus, you know, your, your heart is essentially changed. Like the law is inscribed upon your heart or the Bible is inscribed upon your heart. And when you have the Bible inscribed upon your heart, all of a sudden, even the most difficult sort of ethical choices and decisions are as easy as, you know, looking outside and seeing it's raining and then knowing you got to bring an umbrella. You know what I mean? It's like, it's yeah. eventually you're supposed to evolve past rules and just know right. what to do. Right. Exactly. In other words, the, the Jewish Messiah is considered the, in Hebrew, Adam Aharon, which means the last man. So basically setting a bookend to the whole narrative arc between Adam and the Messiah, that that's the full human experience. And when the Messiah comes, that's the end. That's the, the bookmark end, sort of bookend of all of humanity. And after that, if you were human, then suddenly you become something else, a, a type of ethical and moral deity. Not <clears throat> as if you're a god, but sort of, right, because wow. of all that you know and everything else. And then you no longer really need this long ass book to try to tell you. They'll become like the gods who know, as they say in Genesis. Right. Exactly. So all the, all the other books of the Bible fall away, by the way, except for the book of Genesis and the book of Esther. Sure. Which is a really weird combination, right? Because the book of Genesis is the beginning, right? It's the human story. There's nothing specifically Jewish about the book of Genesis. It's just, takes you from first man all the way through the sort of family line that then leads to multiple religions, not just Judaism, Christianity, Islam, but in fact, hundreds of other worlds, world religions that still exist today and many others that, you know, existed throughout history that, um, that are considered, that consider themselves to be offshoots of Abraham, you know, and, Mm -hmm. uh, um, and then Esther, which is the one book of the Bible that God doesn't happen in. Like there's no, God isn't a character in the book of Esther at all. Did you know that? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You knew that. (laughs) So anyway, um, which is a really interesting idea, right? That those are then the only two relevant books after that, right? Sort of saying like, A, it's a human story and B, it's up to us. It's not really a God thing for us to make the world the best, you know, the place that it can achieve its potential. You are are God, like whether you want to call it spirit or not spirit or whatever, like. Right. All, all the tra- traditions will teach that in one form or another. Right. Uh, e- right. Either they'll say it as you are God, right? Or they'll just say there is no God, which is interesting right. because, you know, it's a religion. So how is there no God? How do you have a big religious structure basically trying to teach you that there's no such thing as God? But that is the point of some of the religions. It's like, right. Once you get past all the illusions, you die. There's heaven, there's the angels, whatever you want to call them, different types of demons and realms. And like, it's all become, it's, it becomes more real than your existence now. And then eventually, if you really want to progress, you have to realize those things are also. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So when I was thinking about, you know, how to start, you know, quote unquote, the new Bible or whatever we would call it, that the first words should be something like, this is probably wrong. (laughs) (laughs) That most might be the most honest way of starting it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I don't know if we can literally say that. Why? <laughs> because no, you don't have exactly zero followers. Well, no, I know, but still, like the, the, you're like that's the point. That's the point. You know? <laughs> no, but to say, but to literally say, like you know, the first words of the Bible are, 
this is probably wrong, but this is what we think. This is this is what we think is our origin story, as we conceive of it today. We hope that in later generations you'll confirm or deny this. You'll come up with, you know, obviously word it more flowery, but you know, we hope that in future generations you'll discover what the full truth is. But knowing that we don't know what the full truth is, this is what we think happened. Somewhere around 14 trillion years ago, there was no universe. And then there was. And all of the gases expanded out into the great, you know, beyond whatever. And then these gases eventually coalesced into these enormous stars and stars that were kind of big enough to cook all these different elements that couldn't have been produced otherwise. And then those stars, after many millennia, exploded out, you know, into the universe as well. All the guts and everything going out there, which then formed, you know, solar systems, etc. until eventually... A certain planet with a certain amount of ingredients with a certain, you know, perfect kind of combinations of things came together in the right spot close enough to the sun such that, you know, um, about uh, when did the first human walk the earth? 40,000 years ago, you know, <laughs> like it's like two million, but like, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. but, but like started like walking the earth and then um, and then to kind of tell the human story from there, you know, we we. Um, you know, talk about uh, um, all those different, I mean, I'm not a scholar of human history like that, but that to to have a beginning like that to sort of be the mindset, you know, Um, the idea being that like, you know, every, every human story that you've ever thought of, every, um, every racist person, every couple in love, every child born, every bad idea, every good idea, every, everything up till now in human history has happened right here on this planet. And every person is made up of atoms that were cooked in that ancient sun, you know, all those years ago. Right, right. But uh, that's that's a, like a scientific treatise, not a religious treatise. But like, I, I know, but I, I, we're I like, incorporating the two. Like, the, where, where's the ethics of uh, in that story? There are none. Yeah, that's the that's problem. The point. <laughs> well, I know, but that's kind of the point, right? So for me, it's like it's like it's like the ethics aren't there. Um, but then, but then we evolved as, as creatures and we, you know, came to a point where we began to understand that there are such a thing as ethics and we can, you know, develop those things and we can have morals. Right. So, you know, I, you like the idea of painting a picture of a type of perfection that was, and Mm -hmm. that can be achieved again. I like the idea of saying, fuck that shit. It never existed. But mm-hmm. we can achieve it if we work on it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm actually saying we can do both. Huh. So I say we need, we need a story without saying this is a fact. Right. Right. You have some things that are just like, well, these are the moral facts. Right. That's one right. part of it. Like, right. like you know, having no dominion over another human. That's just it has to be a fact. Right. Like, that's, like you're you're not in this if you're not playing by those rules, essentially. Right. But the story of like humanity's journey is almost like uh, it's a story that hasn't been written yet. So here's one story. Right. And then you have to paint that picture as like a great story. Like otherwise, no one's going to buy into it. Right. That's, that's what I'm saying. Right. So could you start that story by saying we're making up this myth? <laughs> this is a myth. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Yeah. This. That, that's what I want. Like a, a delineation. Like, uh, like, so there's, there's so many things in the Bible where the teachers were 
or any, when I say Bible, I really mean any religion, where they deliberately talking to a populace, whether it's by letters or verbal, and as we read it now, and they're speaking as a metaphor. You know, the kingdom of heaven is like this. Um, It's as if such and such happened. I had a dream that this happened. You know, uh, it wasn't at the time, most of the time, it was not meant to be taken literally. But since no one wrote down, this is not the literal, factual truth that happened, right? Right. It becomes confounded later on, sometimes, oftentimes deliberately. But uh, yeah, so you can, we, we, we can definitely just say, okay, this is a story to teach the moral lessons that we want you to learn because this is how humans learn. We learn better through a story. You're going to remember right. a story better than you do an equation. Right. Uh, for example, most people. Um, and then that's it. So like, here's the, so you almost have both like here, here's the equations, the laws, whatever you want to call it. And then the other part is like, here's a story demonstrating how an idealized uh, society would have worked. Right. And what would have destroyed such a society and why it's our responsibility to create such society. Right. 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 The story of the most idealized society possible is the most boring story in the history of time. (laughs) (laughs) That's the one. That's the one problem. I I can write a story that's an idealized society that's not boring. Because that's the thing. When strife between your fellow humans disappears, you have to face your own inner, inner demons. And oh. that's a story unto itself. And that's what we right. should really be facing to begin with. Because if you deal with your own inner demons nine times out of ten, you're not going to have a problem with somebody else because you're going to realize it's your own problem. Right. Right. It's like, oh, I feel insignificant. So, no, I'm going to force someone else into insignificance. Right. You know, it starts with stuff like that. I feel powerless, so I'm going to take away someone else's power. Right. 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 I really, so um, it's interesting. When you look at, like, the overall history of Judaism, you end up with a handful of different kind of main phases in terms of Judaism and how it works. So, um, you know, this is, this is, disclaimer, this is a gross oversimplification. Like, this oversimplification is so fucking disgusting, I can't even express to you how gross this is. But in a way, you can think about Judaism as having happened in sort of four stages, I guess. Four Mm -hmm. four different stages of Judaism, which is already a misnomer because the first two aren't even Judaism. You know, it's just the <laughs> Israelite, the Israelite nation. In oh, Israel. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When they literally were all different faiths. Right. Point. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, the earliest phase of Judaism, which is the Israelite nation, is, you know, a tribal, a, a, a loose, sometimes loose, sometimes tightly knitted tribal connection of peoples who are united by, you know, a common culture and proximity and place and united, honestly, by common enemies, right? So, you know, the 12 tribes that then become the nation of Israel with kings and a sacrificial system and a holy temple and a government, etc. There's no divide between religion and state. It's just one in the same, right? It's just one in the same. And then, and that lasts for a long time. And then you have a 
you know, you have an, a comp, you have an enemy first in the Greeks that come and destroy the first holy temple, which then and 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 send sort of the first you know group of Jews into exile. Right, you've got the sort of first diaspora that then go out. And actually, that was a close one for the Jews. Like, it, if it were not for Cyrus the Great, who comes along later on, they probably would, the Jews would have probably melted into history just like every other people from that time. Right. You know, and, and so there wouldn't be Christians, there wouldn't be Muslims, there wouldn't be anything like that because there wouldn't yeah. have been Jews. And, uh, but, but that experience kind of woke the Jewish people up. And we talked about this in the last episode with the metaphor of what would happen if Canada came down and took over America and sent Americans into exile. Right. We would have choices in terms of how we could possibly survive as a as a nation. Do we just right. do Americans just melt away now? There's no more America. Or do we shift the American identity into a religious identity, not a national one? And so then Americans can continually it means something different to be American. When the first holy temple is destroyed, the seat of the power right for the Israelite people was with the priests and then it was gone. Right. Because they didn't have the sacrificial system anymore. They didn't have the, the government behind them. They didn't have taxes and things like that to kind of keep propping them up and, and maintain their power. And all of a sudden, there was a new group of Jewish leaders that came into place, which are people like me. The rabbis started coming along. Right. So that was like around the time that the rabbis started gaining prominence because they could then lead this former nation into peoplehood. But then Cyrus the Great comes along and and essentially funds the building of the second temple. And uh, and next thing you know, there could be a revival of the Israelite nation. Right. But by then, the rabbis had already built up power. The priests came back, but the rabbis had already built up power. So when the second temple was destroyed, that completely solidified rabbinic Judaism. Right. So that's the first two phases of kind of the Israelite identity uh, leading into Judaism, where you have a group of bandit tribes that become a nation and then the nation is destroyed and then rebuilt and then destroyed again. And all of a sudden there's no more priests, but now it's just the rabbis who are leading. Um, and the rabbis were the ones who were kind of taking these national laws and trying to figure out how to translate them into religious laws that then maintained a sense of unity among Jews around the known world, right? Which is why today, like if I was to go to a synagogue in a different country and a different culture, I could still recognize it as a synagogue because of the effort of those rabbis, right? We do the same prayers at the same time, basically, in nearly the same way. And, uh, and so that's how you know they were successful because we still exist. But then the world kind of kept moving on and that type of religion no longer spoke to people. And then it became about Aristotle, right? Aristotle comes along and his teachings are massively influential. And suddenly to be a modern person meant to really understand and know Aristotle. And what Aristotle was talking about was this idea of there being an unmoved mover out there, right? That, uh, that, yeah, my that, mover. Yeah, the prime mover, right? In, in, uh, in Jewish kind of medieval philosophy, we talk about it as an active intellect, basically, that that's what God is. So you've sort of pictured God as the internet in a way. And through kind of, you know, education and, um, you know, learning and things like that, you could kind of tap into it, like poking a pokey straw into a, into a, a juice pack. You know what I mean? And then, right. and then just suck knowledge out of there. 
And, and that's, that's kind of what they were talking about. So the third phase of Judaism then is that it becomes an Aristotelian faith, right? That you're kind of plugging into God in that way. I really, that always kind of spoke to me. I, I love that idea, right? Because, mm-hmm. um, because it essentially creates a mindset where it says the only way to truly be enlightened and spiritual is to be educated, right? To have a kind of specific mindset. Now for them, what they said was knowing and learning the Bible, math, logic, and metaphysics were mm-hmm. the four most important kind of things to learn as a gateway to tapping into um, the active intellect and then being able to sort of be a holy person. You know, mm-hmm. um, I love that idea because we can just adjust that a little bit and say, you know, via the gateway of you know, education, which then creates critical thinking, understanding of science, understanding of history, right? Um, and whatever else we can think of that a person can then tap into an active intellect and be made holy through there. Does that make For sense? Sure. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Makes complete sense. Yeah, yeah. some sort of uh, openness. And, yeah, openness, really, mental openness. Is definitely key, and that story actually denotes uh, something else. We should probably like segue into a little bit. Right, is the this pattern in religions when they go from tribal uh, cultures into so-called uh, civilized ones. Or, right. Uh, so, if you notice with tribal societies, existent and non-existent, uh, the stories are very simple. So there's like myths about like animals. And going out at night and, you know, trees and nature and stuff like that. It's, there's, there's usually not too much to it. And right. then the more quote unquote advanced you become, and, you know, you start moving. And I would say this when I, when I say civilized, all I mean is cities. That's it. People started building cities and started moving cities. I don't really right. mean because now, like I have to say this politically, civilized means so, superior in some way. It means Western and superior. Right. And then tribal all of a sudden means like you're, you know, negative and small-minded, but that's savage. Yeah, savage. I really, to me, tribal just means ancient culture. Civilized just means you live in a city. Okay. <laughs> so people listening know what the hell I'm talking about. Okay. Um. So anyway, when you move into societies or civilizations, all of a sudden you need books about what the religion is like. You need rules and regulations and laws and elaborate stories. Uh, and there's a reason for this. When you're a tribal culture. You are living and breathing the myth. You are already one with nature. Right. You're already one with the divine. Right. You don't need a metaphor talking about the dangers of uh, the darkness because you know what it's like to be out hunting at night and to be hunted. Right. Uh, you don't need uh, metaphors about the importance of uh, women and the dangers of being a woman because you're there watching women give birth and dying of childbirth, like right in front of you and around you and seeing fragility of life and uh, knowing the importance of all life being interconnected as you go out and have to hunt and forage for your food and how difficult that is and how you can fail at it. And there's consequences of over uh, hunting and over farming and these type of things, things that as we move out of that, you forget 
because it's not in your face and you're not relying for it. You know, you don't really, people don't really understand where their food comes from. They don't know anything about childbirth. They don't know the importance of education. They don't know a real fear of darkness and what that's about. Um, all these things, you know, they don't really get it. So you need more and more elaborate rules and stories and so, on and so forth. So it, it always, uh, evolves and like almost like the bigger more complicated the book it's like the further you are from living it there's a correlation between those things right 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 so i, so I have no 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 uh what am what am what am i trying to say i have no uh nothing against the idea of uh writing down you know these important things because it's like as technology becomes uh more advanced and you become even you know more distant from nature and these things you're gonna have to be having a, a moral compass that goes along with that and some kind of understanding goes along with that something to carry with you and to refer back to and uh i almost feel like this society even though we're not talking about the society as old like neo-tribal actually has to be it because i don't want to get rid of science and technology but if somehow you could loop that technology back into bringing us closer to nature again yeah so you're you're advocating a, a type of return to tribalism in a way um yeah how do you high even... tech <laughs> multidisciplinary tribal you... culture what does that even look like um it definitely is a return to nature right it, we'd have to restore the entire ecosystem that would be an actually a worthwhile public works for everybody to get in on that, to yeah. actually restore nature and yeah. to, you know, build dwellings and the way of life where you can still be, still have your internet and still have your iPhone, but somehow still be, you know, one with nature. I love the idea in Star Trek, you know, where they talk about, um, and I'm not like a Trekkie by any stretch of the imagination, but I've definitely watched my fair share of Star Trek through, through the years. And the whole idea of the replicator becoming the kind of essential invention that creates an overall human society where everyone can dedicate themselves to the pursuit of happiness and knowledge because there's no longer a need to produce food. Yeah. 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 Right. That that uh, post scarcity economy is what people started calling that. Right. The post scarcity economy. Um, but the whole idea of that, right. I mean, again, I just haven't done a deep, I think you probably have done deeper dives into the Trek universe than than i have but uh but just that yeah, mindset. Way too much direct. <laughs> yeah. but that whole mindset right i mean are, am i right there like that's kind of the essential invention there, yeah right? yeah it was it was the big deal like and they've even taken the opportunity to criticize themselves from in story you know other cultures meet them or different timelines meet them and they're like yeah, yeah it's easy to talk about peace and you know fellowship when you know no one's hungry like yeah, people have to deal with hunger. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, but I've mentioned before, like we're we're post scarcity now. But since we're capitalist and post scarcity, you know, a few people hoard all the goods. Right, right, like, exactly. We have, enough, so. we have enough to distribute. So then that would probably be. I mean, if you look at what what a religion does when it's sort of working the best, is it understands how to look at and diagnose the particular ills of a society at any given time, and then. Mm. Um, and then grows it from there, right? So when we look at our society, yeah. it's we're post scarcity, but it doesn't look like it. Yeah, yeah. It's more. It's there's there's more of a divide than ever in history. Right, right. Exactly, exactly. So the very first thing, then, besides you know, um, 
you know, one, you shall not dominate a human. I guess the way the, the way to kind of parse that out is thing one, everyone has to have access to everything, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like all the essentials for life, food, water, clothing, shelter, food, water, yeah. clothing, shelter. And then we, you know, if we're doing a neo-tribal, then, you know, the shelters will look radically different and the food will look radically different and all that stuff because it has to be without destroying the planet, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? Right. Right. And even restoring the planet is going to take like some high level science, right? You're talking about high level genetics here, bringing species back, for example. Right. Right. Although the planet, I mean, you know, we're, we're living in a, in a time that's been really, I mean, we, we saw what happened to the planet when, you know, the entire planet just kind of stopped driving for two and a half, three weeks. Yeah. You know, stopped producing for two and a half, three weeks. And I mean, California, the sky is blotted out with fire now, but uh, I've never seen such a blue sky before. Have you? Yeah, exactly. It's like uh, animals are coming back into the neighborhoods. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's been like at least three species and I couldn't name them off the top of my head now because I literally hadn't heard about them until recently uh, that they thought were gone they, that they found again <laughs> just because people aren't trampling over everything. <laughs> so, yeah, it has the capacity to, to to bounce back and, you know, we could help that along and maybe even figure out how to, uh, you know, return some animals uh, uh, that we might consider dangerous in a way that wouldn't be dangerous to us. You know, right. Modified. Right. Right. So, so if the Bible doesn't, if the, the new Bible doesn't start with, you know, you know, what follows is probably wrong. <laughs> <laughs> then, then maybe there's something like uh, these, these are what we believe needs to happen right now in order to get to a place where, you know, such and such can be achieved. Right. Like we're, uh... we're, we're shadowed by our own limitations in a way there. Right. I mean, uh, at least for me, it's very hard for me to conceptualize of things that are beyond my ability to conceive of. You know, we had this whole conversation of just how long it took to drag me into this whole, like, yeah, capitalism is wrong mindset. Right. Mm -hmm. It took a long time to drag me there. Now now you're talking about like doing away with privacy. What the fuck, man? (laughs) 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 My, you know, I'm like looking around at my apartment, like how many people am I sharing this place with now? <laughs> Your community what? means a whole another thing when it's tribal, right? That's what I'm saying. Like well, uh, those are dis- dis- discussions worth having, if, if nothing else. I'm a very private person myself. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. So it just it kind of gets like really hard to imagine, you know. And we've also talked about, um, you know, from like when we were kids, we would try to conceptualize of things that we couldn't think of because of our limitations. And, um, and nowadays, you know, today's youth population is teaching us things that we couldn't even conceptualize of when we were kids. You know, when, when we were kids, just thinking about like gender identity and sexual identity and things like that, like, you know, the whole, um, you know, we were obviously very liberal and so very accepting of people who were gay, straight, bisexual, everything in the middle. But we For thought sure. of it as a single continuum. On one end of the yeah. spectrum, yeah. there's straight, on the other end of the spectrum, there's gay. Most everybody falls somewhere in the middle. And that's, that's what you know. Right. right. But, but nowadays we understand that it's more like a color spectrum. And, um, and you've got people who aren't even on the spectrum that we're talking about there that are identifying in completely different ways. And so our ability to kind of stay modern and stay relevant is our ability to keep up with these things that kids are that young people really understand much better than us. Yeah. So I think I think the term I want to use for what you're talking about is uh, calling it instead of laws, moral imperatives. 
like the stuff you have to do right now. Like we have biological imperatives and yeah. we, have, we can have some moral imperatives. Like it's that urgent. This isn't like a far off thing. This isn't, oh, do it if you can. It's like, no, this is like essential to survival of yourself and the species. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And in a way, if if we're not talking about a new Bible, then what we're sort of talking about here is a worldwide constitution with Bill of Rights. Yeah, for sure. Right. For sure. I mean, that's that's kind of how the Bible works. The Bible is kind of the the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights all rolled up into one. Yeah. It's like you say, OK, well, here's the rules and these are why we have the rules. So it's like, you know, these are inalienable rights from God, essentially, they say. And like, so here are the rights that are from God. Right. So. We're we're doing a, a why and a what too, but a, a little differently. Right, right, exactly, exactly. So, uh, so where do we go from there then? Hmm, I don't know. I I feel satisfied with that. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else, we're probably going to dig ourselves into a hole. <laughs> oh man! I mean, the only other thing I wanted to talk about, I kind of don't want to talk about now because this is like such a positive note, which is like uh, when I really figured out how the cult of Trump works. <laughs> like, All right, give it to me. It's, like, it's like unabashedly simple. <laughs> so, like, I, I feel Trump is uh, basically capitalism as a religion made flesh. Like, you know, Jesus is like the word made flesh. Jesus. Trump is capitalism made flesh. Jesus Christ, Andre. <laughs> <laughs> It, it, yeah, I'm, I'm really, I'm thinking this is it. It's like, basically, his, it's like three tenets. Uh, do whatever you want uh-huh. to whoever you want and get away with it. Yeah. Apologize to no one. Yep. And everything is permissible. Like, that's it. Like, <laughs> everyone, and here's the thing, that appeals to everyone some which way. Like, so it's like, if you had unlimited money and power, essentially, Right. Right. That grants you all three of those things. Uh, they're all kind of extensions of one thing. But uh, so even if you looked at Trump and say, well, I wouldn't act like he would with with that money and power. You still like the idea of going by your own rules and being untouchable. So yeah. you do whatever you want. Yeah. That's that's the appeal. Like, so even if you don't like what he does with it, you, you would still want to be in that position. And that's right. going to be, oh, it's like a dark part of, of our personality, but it's there and it's real. And, you know, I guess that's how you get 33 to now 40 something odd percent of the population behind you. How, how did we get here? Is this, this, this type of behavior that, that we see, you know, in Trump, um, this type of behavior that we see in humanity, is this, is this really a human nature issue? Like, is it really in human nature to to behave like this or or what? I feel that human nature is infinitely malleable. Yeah. If you teach the right things early enough, that's how it's going to be. Like some yeah. of the cultures that have come and gone on this planet are so extreme from each other. Right? Yeah. That it's like all things are really possible with a human brain just about like. Right. We could, we could really build this thing like any way you wanted. Like if, right. if there was a, if there was quote unquote the political will to do it, you know, we could fix these things in a generation. Cause you don't really have to, uh, walk the walk, <laughs> but you do have to talk to talk so that the next generation will actually embody these things. Right. Um, like, you know, our, when I say our parents, I just mean our generation, not ours specifically. 
might have held certain biases that they don't pass on to the next generation because they hold it still because that's how they were raised. But they know times are different and it doesn't make sense to put that on your on your child. That was actually a phrase I heard all the time, like uh, from my mother when my grandmother would say something inappropriate, for example. She right. would say the phrase, don't put that on the children. Right. In other words, don't take your hangups, your inner demons, your prejudices and fears and biases and put it on another generation. Right. Totally right. different time. Let them figure out what's going on. We have no idea what's going on. It's like totally different now. <laughs> like you think it's the same, but it's not the same. Right. They're going to have to go on this journey. Don't, you know, put anything else on them that, that doesn't need to be there. That's what, that's what I used to say to myself when I would get those weird, like antiquated lessons from my grandfather. You know, I, I would just say, I'm going to go ahead and let that belief die with you. <laughs> uh, That's the total right thing to do. It, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because that doesn't seem relevant to today at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's bananas. Um, I, I uh, yeah, I really struggle with this stuff, right? I mean, it, it's hard to sort of parse out. I mean, on one hand, I really do believe that most people are basically good in their core. Yeah, that's absolutely a part of my belief system. And I and I see it everywhere I go, you know, but then and I, I also, I'm going to say just because of my life experience, I, I actually started off believing the opposite. But now right. I actually believe as you do. I like I'm the more distant I get from it, I realize that, you know, most children don't start off greedy and evil. No. <laughs> yeah. Like the, the greed might just be to like, give me all that food right now. That's about <laughs> be how it extends. Right. But anything else like they still share. They still hug everybody like they, they still have like the right impulses. And then that kind of has to be verbally or physically beaten out of them eventually. Right. Right. I, I know you I, I know you kind of I mean, we've talked like a little bit about this. And I think if I'm correct, I think you think it's kind of like a little bit bullshit. But uh, the whole um, the book uh, Sex at Dawn and when they compare and contrast the two other kind of great primates that were closest related to in chimpanzees and bonobos were like yeah. as close to either of them. And um, the chimpanzee is a, a very human-like, you know, animal. They've, they operate in large, almost tribal systems. Sure. Um, some of them have even entered the Stone Age at this point in terms of their use of tools. Yeah, and they're way more violent than, you know, than we thought. They're you know, so fucking violent. I mean, they rape, they murder, yeah. they, there's... They make, uh, they make group political plans together. <laughs> yeah, there's, like, seriously, intergroup <clears throat> politics, there's power takeovers, there's war, there's all that shit. And, and the bonobo, on the other hand, although it's not as if male bonobos don't try to, you know, attack female bonobos, but they have a culture that, that has this kind of built-in protection. And uh, mostly what they do is eat and fuck all the time. <laughs> sure. That's really all they do. And they're creative as shit when it comes to the fucking, by the way. <laughs> like, so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and again, I'm not like a scientist by any stretch of the imagination, but my understanding is, is that the reason why they were able to kind of become what they are is because of the specific environment that they live in. You know, there's no great threat to their existence, for example. There's plenty of food plenty of space and plenty of everything that they, that they need. And so as a species, that's what kind of created the ability for them to become like that, you know? So when you think about the humans as the greatest of all primates, you know, we've kind of got both potential, right? We, we've got, mm -hmm. we're part chimp and we're part bonobo. 
you know, on one hand, um, we rape and we kill and we murder and we um, are political and we push each other down in order to lift ourselves up. And on the other hand, there is opportunities for great connection, great love, really creative sex, right? Like, you mm -hmm. know, all that stuff. And it's like, what's the difference? So in a lot of ways, to me, like, I think of this as, you know, if we're creating a new religion, the purpose of it is to propel humanity, like you said earlier in the conversation, to like the next phase of evolution, mm -hmm. right? which is to which is to look inside, push down the part of our DNA that's chimp like and lift yeah. up the part of our DNA that's bonobo like. Right. In a sense. Yeah, in a sense. What do you mean? Uh, in the sense that uh, you want to lean more towards peace and cooperation than uh, politics and violence. And, right. Uh, this weird drive to monopolize resources. Right. Right. So, so then that becomes the way to do it, right. Is to, is to look around and say, you're right. We are post scarcity. You know, we can uh, sort of create that type of, you know, environment where we can lift ourselves up and become more like the bonobo side of us than like the chimp side of us. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 I'm a little bit stuck on, you know, the, I, I'm not a hundred percent convinced that we, that we need a Bible per se, just because I do think, you know, that there are religions that aren't story centric. And, um, you know, when you look at like Hinduism or Buddhism, for example, they're not story centric. I think it's really, Oh no, that's not true. <laughs> that's well, definitely not true. They have stories for sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, they got the Upanishads. They're very, very rich, detailed stories. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it's not the same as it is for us. You know, they're not as, they're not as essential as it is for us where like in Judaism, for example, you know, you go to a Jewish service and there's a part of every service where you lift up the Bible. Like you lift up the Torah and demonstrate everything is centered around it. You know, it's, it's so completely centered to its core. Whereas in Hinduism and Buddhism, you know, you've, you've really got a practice that's more central in a lot of different ways to kind of get mm, at it. So it could be the story it could also be meditation, it could be service and good and things like that. Right. So it's not mm -hmm. as like, not as lifted up, I guess I mean to say there. Um, sure. We could, you could split the difference and do, uh, uh, the 12 apostles had this thing and I'm probably going to mispronounce it, uh, called the DDK, I think it's pronounced. Yeah. Um, and it was basically shortly after, uh, Jesus passed, they got together and say, Hey, we need to come up with some kind of system here. Like, what are we doing now that right. the master's gone? Right. And, uh, so it was kind of like a short treatise of like, you know, what's our ethics and what are we going to do in the world? Right. And, it was m interesting because it was mostly not centered around religious practice. I mean, they had the baptism. That was an important thing. Right. And I think the Eucharist as well. But then after that, it was like, okay, uh, we have to take care of the sick, the poor, the widows. Uh, and it was basically like the altruism of like, how do we take care of the people who are struggling the most in the, the community and the world? Right. Uh, it was kind of, so it's interesting. I mean, I think that that, didn't become like the main thing, even right. though it was the first thing that got written after he died. Right. Right. And it's like, well, you know, that would be a religion everybody could get behind, right? <laughs> I would hope. <laughs> but it's like, you know, it lacks a power structure. And then, you know, I guess little by little things got chipped away and reinvented. I'm like, but that's like a pretty, it's a pretty uh, benign ethical text. 
Yeah. And, you know, and so, it, so it doesn't involve like, you know, any creation story or any stories really. It's just like, yeah. okay, you know, well, uh, uh, this is what we're taught. This is what we're going to do. And this is what we're going to propagate. I had this uh, friend in rabbinical school who made a really good point. Um, we were talking one day and she said that it's really interesting how every nation and culture in the world sort of lifts up and monumentalizes the thing that they can never fully achieve somehow, you know? So like if you go to Israel and you walk around and drive around that whole nation, pretty much all of the monuments that are created there, like all of the big statues, all of the things that are there are um, about peace, all of them. And that's the one thing that they never achieved there. And when you come to America, interesting. Pretty much all of the monuments, like all of the big things that we build and try to lift up here in America is about freedom. And that's the one thing we've never been able to fully achieve here. Yeah, uh, about freedom and a good 50 to 60 percent of them are about segregation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that, that's that's somebody's freedom, I guess. The yeah. Is like- <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of the point. Right. So we, we yeah. tend to monumentalize the thing that's that we want the most, but can never achieve for some reason. Sure. Um, That is an interesting dichotomy. Yeah. A really, really interesting dichotomy and um, kind of sad in a way, you know, definitely. But, uh, but, but speaks to what we talked about in the beginning in terms of like, well, fuck man, I'm born in the middle of the story and I die in the middle of the story. Like I inherited all this shit and I can't fix it before I die, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it's just, it's just crazy. So, yeah, I mean, uh, that's why this uh, thought experiment works way better as, okay, you're building a a culture from the ground up than it does. Well, how are we going to reverse this massive (laughs) tidal wave of shit? Like, (laughs) (laughs) it's like, I'm off course. I can't steer this. It's literally a river of shit. We're flowing. (laughs) Like, (laughs) turn this around. I don't want to be in a server shit. Somebody please help. It's like, Andre, uh, you're a thou shalt not have dominion over another human. It's not going to get us off of this river of shit. We're fucked. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's man. like, no, it's definitely not. It's definitely not. It was like, yeah, it works way better when you're saying, okay, society's already destroyed itself and we're starting over. No, no one knows anything. Um, yeah, yeah, and like we said previously, unfortunately, I think the only way this thing would get off the ground is like, uh, like some kind of violent struggle. Right, right. In other words, you know, the big comet comes down, destroys the earth. Every yeah. every human is killed except for the exact amount that it would take to rebuild yeah. the population without having like just a bunch of inbred motherfuckers. <laughs> or some kind of religious war where the victors are just like, you're going to respect each other or else. <laughs> right. 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 Exactly. Exactly. Talk about a benevolent dictator. Or- oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's kind of like exactly. that random, uh, like big kid who, like you know, stops the little kids from fighting, and it's just like now shake hands. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, is that really peace? Right? <laughs> There's this uh, this this uh, uh, old congregant of mine that I'm you know on like linked up on Instagram with, and um, he had this. He posted this question that was something like, should Trump get credit? Should Trump get the Nobel Peace Prize for um, creating 
uh, peace treaties between Israel and like the United Arab Emirates. And, no. <laughs> right. They were already at peace. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fucking, I mean, all that piece was like based off of years of clandestine military, you know, like really, really decades of clandestine military, whatever. And it, But the other yeah. piece is like, you know, okay, so uh, a, an American president with really strong fascist tendencies, an Israeli prime minister with really <laughs> strong fascist tendencies, yeah. and fucking fascist Arab countries form peace, and we think that this might be good for humanity? Yeah, seriously. Yeah, no. <laughs> That's not what's actually going on. Was this like the meaning of Hitler and Mussolini? Yeah, great. Yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Fan. There's nothing bad's going to happen with that. No. <laughs> no, none whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm really conceptualizing this creating a new religion project is how to take the world as is and build something new. I'm realizing yeah. that now. And you are really conceptualizing it as, as no, no, no. Let's, let's pretend the world has been destroyed. And... And then how are we building it up from there, right? Yeah, yeah. because then you don't have to worry about the uh, how do you get there part. Um, right. Because the how do you get there parts, and it's the same thing with politics is like uh, and capitalism and things like that. It's like, well, you have to change this, you have to change that, you have to change that. It's just like, and then it seems impossible. Right. And then it's like, but let's just take it as like the foundational. All things are possible. Right. This, this is clearly possible. Like th- how you get there is a whole nother thing. We know how you get there. You're going to have to make them do it. Like right. uh, those who do not believe will have to be made to believe by force. I think Machiavelli says something like that. Yeah. Like, you know, it's just like the, the only people who don't have to do that are people who have been given like the gift of God to like go in and kind of like just talk people into it somehow. Right. And you can't rely on that. So you are going to have to rely on like your force of arms. Right. Right. Uh, it's fucking depressing, man. It's <laughs> depressing as fuck. Yeah, because when you look at it this way, it's actually very easy. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, it's just like everybody just stop, like just just stop. <laughs> right. Just stop. Well, then, well, it's like stop being a dick. Like right. Well, it's the question. Like from that starting point, you know, how do you how do you build it up with the right kind of checks and balances to make sure that humanity stays centered and good, you know, and doesn't like lose control again. Right. I mean, that's sort of what the thought experiment becomes, um, as opposed to how do we take where it is and then bring it to this place? Um, you know, I just wish some there's, people there's a, die. there's a really great uh, book or essay. Uh, I forget how old it is. It's, it's quite old, maybe like 1700s, maybe before I probably have that wrong. Uh, it's called The Politics of Disobedience. Okay. Uh, Etienne, some French name or the other. Uh, I should read. It's a short read. It's like 80, 100 pages. Okay. But I can really sum it up like just this simple, but it's apropos to, to all these discussions, which is yeah. stop serving tyrants. <laughs> right? Like the, the p- people who are in power are in power because people are doing what that person tells them to do. Right. Just don't do it. Right. Just don't. It's like, oh, he's the president. Uh, we have to. No, you don't have to. Right. <laughs> you don't have to. Like, this is less like for, you know, you and I, we don't work in the White House. Uh, you know, it, it, the main thing, though, is the people around him, his cabinet, the people he's hired, his guards, the military, the rest of Congress and the Senate, et cetera. Just stop following orders. Yeah. If you stop following orders, 
he's just a lunatic rambling to himself in the hallway. That's right. That's right. You don't have to start a war. That's why I'm bringing this up. You don't have to start a war to change things. We always think we have to start a war. But the reason you have to start a war is because those people who are in the circle of power want to have that power that radiates around that one person, excuse me, that one person, regardless of uh, the consequences to everybody else. Right. And it's or the, even to themselves. They're willing to get killed themselves, actually, in these situations. Yeah. Or go to jail themselves or get blamed or scapegoated themselves just to have the opportunity to have dominion over everybody else, like we were just talking about. Right. But it's so easy to stop. It's so easy to stop. And that's why when these revolutions happen, everybody gets decapitated. They're not going to just go get the, the Mussolini's and the Hitler's. They're going for everybody who followed orders like they always right. do. Because right. all you had to do was not do it. Right. And the excuse of, well, I had to, he was in charge, is not going to fly. No. No. So everybody who's listening to this, or read the politics of, this, of the politics of obedience, uh, I think it's in the subtext, or the subtitle of it is The Discourse of Voluntary Servitude. Right. 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 And it's, it, it basically says what it says now, just, just stop following orders. Like, right. You don't have to. You know it's wrong. You know right from wrong. On an instinctual level, just stop doing it. And then let's do the right thing. It's crazy how often people want other people to tell them what to do. Yeah. You know, I saw that as a rabbi quite a bit, you know, where people would come to me for advice and they said they wanted advice, but really what they wanted was answers. What do I do? Yeah. Right. And it was so disappointing to them when I refused to tell them. Yeah. You know, it's like... I you have to figure this out yourself, man. <laughs> like I know what I would do, but right. how is that helpful for you? You know? Yeah. Cause if it goes wrong, well, Rabbi Josh said, right, right. Exactly. Exactly. So that's, I mean, you know, I always come back to education. I mean, that, that's the key thing for me, you know, is, uh, is it has to be education. So, I mean, if there's going to be rules, you know, in the Bible, then in the new Bible, then I mean, the first thing is you're right. You know, there's no dominion over your fellow man. And then the second rule is you shall not allow yourself to be dominated, right? Mm-hmm. It, has, it has to go both ways. So you're not allowed to dominate, great, but you're not also not allowed to be dominated. Uh, That's actually a great rule. Right. Yeah, the two need to go hand in hand. They need to go hand in hand. So that there's a moral imperative to, you know, rise up and not take it. Stand on your own. A hundred percent, you know. So that so we're really lifting up the individual here. Right. In order to re- lift up the entire society. Right. Right. That's very Western of us, by the way. <laughs> it's like, it's like, we, like, I want people to be educated. I want people to think, and I want to think and be educated, but like, there, there is like a what's the word I'm looking for? Like a, a weird biological efficiency to just like not doing so. Right. And that's why it's like so hard to fight. Like you know, thinking costs a lot of energy. Right. <laughs> right. right. And uh, you know, thinking on these multi layers and causality and right and wrong and all this stuff is just like no. Let me just outsource that to somebody else. They're happy to do it. Right. Like so, I, I don't know if we can force people to think or not, but I, I would love to. But I guess more important is like, if you can't think, then do. And then here's the rule. So I guess we do need something written down. So here's what you do. Right. You don't dominate and you don't permit yourself to be dominated on a very basic level. Right. Right. Absolutely. And it's like, so that should raise red flags. It's just like, I'm feeling like a weird pressure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. I don't like it. I'm not going to do that. 
Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and you're like, I don't do it to you. Don't do it to me. Like, right. And so like in, in this type of culture, you'd have like an endless amount of unions, essentially. If, yeah. If there's still, if, if there's still in, in any kind of capitalist structure, there's unions with tremendous power. And your position is merit-based. Your position is knowledge and merit-based. hundred percent. Right? And interest-based, right? I mean, look at... Right, your, your mutual interest yeah. more than any. You see those like, uh, you know, like eye candy videos and stuff on like Instagram and YouTube where it's just like someone who's like incredibly efficient, incredibly efficient, like on an assembly line. You know what I mean? Where like they, they know exactly how to like take the bottles and put it in the thing and put it in the thing and everything else. And then when you look at how they're doing it, there's almost a joy for them in doing it that way. Right? There are a lot of people who really dig that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I'm telling you, like for me, you know, um, you know, I, I, I basically doing, you know, white collar work for a long time now between my years as a rabbi and now as an executive recruiter, it's straight white collar work. You know, you're, it's a vocational kind of thing, right? And so there's a lot to it for me where I'm like sitting there on a computer and just like scrolling through different profiles and looking up different people and trying to find the right talent for the right position and stuff like that. And like the way my mind works, that job is like perfect for me. But if there was like a career path where I could make enough money to live putting together Ikea furniture for people, I fucking, <laughs> I'd love that shit because that's like a meditative activity for me. Sure. You know what I mean? Just sitting down yeah. looking at directions. Some people, they look at that shit and they just collapse because sure, sure, it's not like fun for them. Whereas for me, like, you know, I take my time, I lay it out. Like, you know, I, it's, and, and I can spend hours doing that. And then when I finish, it's like, I feel great, you know, <laughs> because that's yeah. not the way my mind is built. It's, it's that sort of thing is why I really think that, uh, there is a job for someone in a post, for everyone in a post scarcity economy. Yeah. Like, so when, when, once money's out of the equation and they say, okay, just, just go do your thing. I mean, you can't pay that unregulated, but you know, essentially go do what, you know, brings, brings your bliss. Yeah. Everything will still get taken care of. And if it doesn't, then we address it then. Yeah. We address it. But, but I would actually be mildly surprised if there was any need left unfilled. Yeah, I would too. I would too, you know. But I think it's recasting, you know, the things that, the things that we work. I, I, I tossed at you and you disagreed with it in, the last, um, in our last conversation. But I tossed at you the idea of thinking of a Bible as a technology, right? Mm -hmm. um, and when you think about, like, what the original, you know, what the the Old Testament was, what the Torah was, it really was for those people, the height of what technology could be, because for them, the highest technology was the written word. And mm -hmm. it created for the first time for them an opportunity to kind of have their opinions be propelled into the future beyond their own lives. You know, their own experiences being propelled into the future beyond their own lives. What an exciting concept. You know, for the first time in human history, they could communicate with generations down the road. And, um, and here we are communicating with them just by reading it. Right. So it's like, so exciting. Um, sure. so when you think about like what we're building here is we're, we're building, you know, in an ideal world, a technology that can be utilized by humanity to create and sustain this type of, you know, um, perfect utopian kind of society. Right. Um, yeah. that encourages people to, find their true selves, find their calling, and then just do that, you know, and be happy. I had, I just, uh, totally not related, but for some reason I just had this, uh, 
uh, formation of a recollection. Yeah. <laughs> uh, was it Asimov who had like three rules about uh, dealing with artificial intelligence or how to program an artificial intelligence so it wouldn't like end up kind of like taking over? What were they? Um, I'm trying to remember. It had something. I should just look it up, but I won't. Um, but basically, it, it was something along the lines of uh, you couldn't harm a human was a rule. Yeah. And you couldn't also, by inaction, allow harm to come to a human. I remember the, those were two of them. I can't remember what the third was. But that almost needs to be written into this as well, something like that. Yeah. It's like, okay, so you're not dominating, not being dominated, but that doesn't absolve you. It's like almost answering the question, am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are your brother's keeper. Like, Right. Yeah, I also have to actively be looking out for it each other's good doesn't the hippocratic oath have something like that in there too yeah yeah there is something similar to that yeah um yeah absolutely but that's like the bare minimum <laughs> yeah, it really is it really is but that's all we're looking for because like i'm not trying to tell people how to live their life essentially and only to the point where we don't want them impeding on everyone else's life right and minimizing everybody else's life so that's that's kind of like enough right like you need just very minimal, like go out after that. Like if you're not going to dominate me, if you're not going to keep me from resources uh, and, and we add to that in an emergency, you have to look out for me and I have to look out for you. And this is all universal. I don't really need much more than that. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and neither does anybody else. Like I keep saying we need to start treating people like adults. Right. And politicians, by and large, do not treat people like adults. No. Religious leaders definitely don't treat people like adults. And like you said, there's this propensity for people who want to be told what to do. And to a certain extent, this religion is going to have to tell people, like, I can't tell you what to do. <laughs> right. I've got, like, these five or six things that are, like, the eternal immutable laws that are, are there to guarantee the survival and prosperity of our species. After that, you need to go out there and figure it out. That's maybe. the work of being a, an adult human in this world. Maybe that's a, maybe those are the first words of the Bible, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, if, if it's not the first words, it's definitely in the first page. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's critically important. And like, once we get that stuff out of the way, we can say, okay, and there's like kind of like a story of what it would look like. Right. 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 So I almost started like, you know, bottom line is it's up to you, but here's what we think, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of take it from there. All right. Um, and, and by the way, like, you know, the Jewish Bible at least becomes really, really just like an exposition of laws. Um, I mean, that that's really what it becomes. I mean, you know, you've got the Ten Commandments and that fools people into thinking there's just Ten Commandments. And as a matter right. of fact, you know, the, <laughs> there's like over a hundred, I believe there's 633, <laughs> yeah. you know, even more than I remember. Yeah. Or is it six? It's 613, 613 commandments. Um, uh, six, six, six would have been a far six, better six, number. Six, six uh, would have been a far better. The bullshit, by the way, there's like a little kind of like a story about 613 where they say that 613 commandments and um, a certain number of them are positive commandments and a certain number of them are negative commandments, meaning the positive commandments are the thou shouts and the negative commandments are the thou shalt nots. And there mm. are 365 negative commandments and then whatever the number is left, positive commandments. Sure. Um, and uh, the, the, supposedly the, the number that's left corresponds with the number of bones in the human body. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's a reach. That's a reach. It's such like, a see, reach. See, divine, divine yeah, will, divine providence. I know it's such bullshit. It's such bullshit. But uh, but uh, the the you know the kind of moral lesson there is that you know everything good is within you, and uh, and then you know you basically spend every day right. of the year you know trying to avoid the things that are bad you know so to speak. But uh, but uh, uh, ancient Jews you know the Israelites used to actually ritualistically a couple times a day read the Ten Commandments, and then the rabbis the early rabbis became concerned that that the Jewish people were going to hear that and think that the Ten Commandments were more important than the other 603, right? right? And so they did away with that ritual and instead started reading, um, they said, instead started doing a prayer called the Shema, which is this um, prayer where, you know, there's a bunch of different parts, but you're basically talking about, um, you know, uh, loving the loving the Lord your God and, um, you know, how you kind of follow these commandments, et cetera. So it's a, it's a really interesting kind of tension that happens there, you know, but I love the idea of having as few commandments as possible. Right. Because, yeah, for sure. because as much as I, as much as like, I think that in a way we should think about how to combine science and religion and to not exactly mm-hmm. the same thing, but at least a Venn diagram, um, which is uh, probably something to talk about maybe in the next episode, because we're like sure. already an hour and a half into this one. Um, but, uh, but, um, really, really keeping those two things separate from government and then government becomes, you know, the way in which, or whatever, not, if not government leadership becomes the way in which we try to, you know, shape the society to fulfill the few commandments that we have. Right. So if the, if the two main commandments are, you know, thou shalt not dominate and thou shalt not be dominated, (laughs) Right. Yeah. What are the systems of laws that sort of grow off of that? And do we yeah. even need them? You know? Yeah. And that that's the kind of thing that I just say, like, well, people, people listen to that and say, well, these laws are not perfect. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. <laughs> but the, it's a great starting point that each generation needs to take up and argue about and then figure out how to implement those things. Right. Exactly. You know? So even the like the no domain over every thinking thing, what is a thinking thing? You know, that's for you guys to figure it out. I'm not going to micromanage that. Right. Uh, right. Oh, so I just I just cheated and looked up Asimov's three laws uh, right. so in, in regard to robots, and they're they're not perfect. Everybody knows they're not perfect. Asimov said they're not perfect, but yeah. when you add, add them to a greater whole and replace the word human or replace the word robot with human, I think it would make sense. But anyway, here they are: uh, a robot may not injure a human being through action or through inaction, or allow a human, human being to come to harm. Uh-huh. Uh, two, a robot must obey the orders given to it by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. So that's why I forgot that would, that would have to be thrown out. Okay. So we're talking about people, not robots. Do they, say that one again. Uh, say that one again. I want to hear it again. Uh, so the other one, the second one says a robot must obey orders given to it. So I said that's probably why, yeah, I that one <laughs> why I didn't remember the third one because it wouldn't be apropos to humans. Yeah. Uh, good Lord. There was again. Yeah. Um, Hello, FBI. Um, <laughs> a robot must protect its own existence uh, as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second laws. Yeah. So really only the first one applies, which is don't allow any harm uh, to come to another human being yeah. through action or inaction. Yeah. I yeah. think that through inaction is almost stronger than through action. Yeah. Yep. It's still interesting, man. God, it's so interesting. You know, 
don't uh, know. It's really interesting. I my my, my wheels are turning hardcore. <laughs> you know? That's a that's a good place to to be at. Yeah, it's definitely a good place to be at. All right, yeah, what my, you... my wheels were turning for the the whole whatever amount of time since the last talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've been busy having the sun blotted out by fire. <laughs> so, it's, it's just the apocalypse. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Oh, man. All right. What else are we talking about this episode? We got any other topics we're going to cover? I have nada. So I'd love to dive into next episode, how to turn science and religion into more of a Venn diagram. I'd love to talk about that. Um, Perfect. Because I think uh, that they should be one in the I want to get my, my cousin on board with that. Yeah, let's see if we can get your cousin on board. If he can join us, great. If not, it's fine. We'll he might, he might be available uh, tomorrow night. All right. If you're available. I'm available. Yeah, which I, but that's going to probably be more of a Q&A because like, when it comes to uh, quantum physics, is where he's going with this. His brain's a lot bigger than mine. Yeah, I, <laughs> I know a thing or two about it. Like uh, I, I can't really understand it as it is, but I can understand it as a from a theological mindset. Like if I read about right. it and then try to get into it via the gateway of theology, then I get it. Um, but, uh, but if I try to understand just the science of it, I get fucking lost. Yeah. Same here. So, same here. Yeah. All right. So I definitely, that's definitely something where, you know, I need all those metaphors. We're talking about metaphors a lot. That's the perfect example of why we need them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, mean, yeah, I don't understand like, okay, here's the math. That should settle it. Like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Now. <laughs> yep. same, thing. same thing with me. I, I, I had to like work so hard for my C minus in math all through college <laughs> and all through high school and stuff. But then I get to college and I took a logic. I took a class in logic, which is basically yeah, yeah. The, the mathematics of language and creating arguments and things like that. True right? is always true unless it's false. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and somehow I got an A plus in that class because put it in language and I could totally understand it. But, um, but put it in, in fact, I did so well in that class that the teacher pulled me in his office to test me because <laughs> he thought I was cheating. They thought you were cheating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was like, how are you doing this? And I was like, I don't That's know. That's insulting at the time and then hilarious in retrospect. It's so hilarious in retrospect. So hilarious. He was like, okay, I guess you really do get this. But the second they started doing logic where you started bringing numbers in, I was like, I'm out. You're like, I'm, I'm out. out. Yeah. I'm out. Like number, I'm out. I'm out. Yep. And then in physics, it's like a bunch of symbols. It, you really have to be read into that. Yeah, fuck no. Fuck no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, so let's see if we can effort that. Uh, but in the meantime, we got this, and then we'll take it from there. Hey, you remember, we haven't done this in a long time, but we were kids, and we always started our conversations with uh, yo, Josh, yo, Dre, but then we would end yeah. our conversations with, all right, break. <laughs> yeah, or oh, break. <laughs> break. <laughs> and, break. Or something. Exactly like we're like a two-man basketball team. Anyway. <laughs> All right, man. So, uh, 